Last night I went to Spotsylvania Courthouse to the Stars and Stripes. They always do fireworks the Saturday before the 4th of July. And uh, before the fireworks started, the sun was setting and just a beautiful blue and pink sky and then becoming uh, you know, orange, reddish, and just this uh, beauty that God was showing, his beautiful fireworks. I don't know if you had seen uh, this week, uh, several nights, just some beautiful uh, sunsets, and I saw some uh, people posting some uh, wonderful sunrises as well. And God is just showing off to us on who he is. He wants us to see his glory and understand he, he speaks through his creation. One of the founders of our country had warned the early Americans and said, the more we move away from the farms and move into the cities, the more we disconnect with nature. And the more we disconnect with nature, if we're not careful, we will disconnect with our God. I think that's very true in uh, today's society. I was reading a, a book one of, by one of my favorite uh, evangelists, and he was talking about the speed of life in his generation and just how fast life was going. If we aren't careful how we're going to miss uh, who God is. He said, I can't believe how busy life is and everybody's rushing around and transportation has increased by such incredible levels. And, and the interesting thing in that letter, it was written in the 1940s. I'm like, wow, if, if uh, Lehman Strauss could see the way society is today. And he, he thought it was a fast pace, uh, this evangelist traveling the country in the 1940s. And he wrote a book. Uh, and, and in the book, he said, all Christians need to have two books. They need to have the book of God, and they need to have the book of creation. Really, that's what Psalm 19 is about. That's what we're looking at today. And I just wrote some things down. There's the TV, the Internet, phones, video games, all these things. If we're not careful, we can miss out on God's creation, his beauty, his unity, his plan, the peace that he has because God gives us creation to say that he is present and that he is speaking. He wants us to hear from him. Let's, let's look at Psalm 19, the first couple of verses here. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. I, I, and I'm going to point out several words. Notice, declare. God is declaring. God is speaking. He is communicating. He is talking to us. And the firmament shows his handiwork to show means that he is manifesting, he is exposing, he is reporting to us. Verse 2, day into day, uttereth speech, the idea that he is gushing out, he is emanating, he, his flow is sending forth who he is. And night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech or language, the idea of language there is his words he's communicating he is speaking to us through creation where their voice is not heard their line has gone out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world in them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun he has his words he is speaking maybe that's why jesus said in the book of matthew Behold the fowl. I want you to look at the birds. Consider the lilies. I want you to pay attention to the flowers. 
I really fought that. My dad was always a, a bird lover, and I was moving from my 30s to my 40s, and I was like, I am too young to look at birds. You know, that's what old people do or something. And I, I really fought it for a long time, and I, I shared that story a couple years ago, and there's a family in our church bought me a really nice bird feeder. I still have it up, and uh, four squirrels are trying to tear it up uh, right now pretty good, but uh, uh, yeah, I like to look at the birds. I like to stop. I realize, you know what, God has this beautiful place, and we can work hard. We can build. There's so much that we can do. We can invest our life into things. We can, you know, have our to-do list taken care of, but God has this beautiful world that he wants us to see, and he said, behold the fowl. I was in an airport one day, and uh, uh, I was rushing to get to my next destination, and uh, there was a, a group of, of young people, and one of the leaders was there going on a mission trip, so I was talking to them, and uh, as I was rushing around, she said, did you know, do you know what Jesus said about birds? And I said, yeah, he said, behold the fowl, and she said, do you know what that means? And I said, well, yeah, I think so, what? She said, God wants us to stop and just look at the birds. And so let me encourage you, take some time today or this week just to stop and look at his beautiful creation. Last night I was walking in, I saw some bright stars, I'm sure they were some planets that I was looking at, and so I was getting ready to walk in, and so I just said to my wife, look at that, isn't that beautiful? And then we looked over to the other side, and the Big Dipper was there, and we just stopped and paused for a minute, uh, for a minute and then I was thinking, mosquitoes are going to be here, come on, let's go inside, now, you know, and so kind of rushed her inside after that but God has given us this beautiful world and he's speaking to us but if we're not careful life just gets so busy several years ago my son John who's on the uh, base today we were working out in the um, at the one of the the flower gardens out here I don't remember what we were doing and we we're cleaning up and I was trying to finish before it got dark and uh, <clears throat> as I was rushing to uh, do this, John said, hey, Dad. And I'm like, why is he bothering me? I've got, you know, a job to do here. I'm trying to, and he's like, hey, Dad. And I was like, what? And he said, look at that. And we looked over in the field, and the sun was setting across the back and just this gorgeous sky. And he had the wisdom just to stop and to look, just to pause. See, God is speaking to us. God is present. And Pastor Steve often wants to remind us that God is present and God is speaking to us in here. But the reality is, look at verse 4 for a second. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world, in them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. What's a tabernacle? It's the place where God's presence dwells. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was a place that pictured that God was with the children of Israel. And the psalmist, David writing here, maybe as he was a shepherd and staring at the stars as a young person, it said, God has a church service wherever we go. God wants to manifest himself to us right now in our life. He's made a tabernacle for the sun. In the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory, or the yeah, maybe you recall the, the cloud by day and the fire by night, which would guide the children of Israel to their next destination. Wherever that uh, cloud was is where the tabernacle rested. And God was saying, I'm present, I'm guiding you, I'm speaking to you, I am here. 
And God has a tabernacle for us. He has a, a, a message that he wants us to get to understand who he is. Look at verse 5. Talking of the son, which is, is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. You remember the day that you were getting ready to get married and you were planning this out and you got up that morning like, today I'm getting married. Exciting day. And the son is as this bridegroom getting up in the morning and saying, I have some place to be today. And the sun races through the sky. It's not just like a bridegroom, but it also says, and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. When you run a race, you have somewhere to go. You want to get to that destination as quickly as possible. And the sun rises, and uh, the older we get, the faster that sun goes through the sky. And it's the end of the day, isn't it? And our kids say, I'm bored. And like, how can you be bored? Well, go clean your room or go take care of something, right? You know, in Spanish, the word I'm bored means I'm boring myself is what my wife tells me and uh, so we don't need to bore ourselves. there's a whole lot in life to do but the older you get you don't get bored your life races through doesn't it and he says there in verse 6 his going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit into the ends of it and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof God is saying, I am everywhere. If you want proof of it, look at my creation. If you want a specific proof, look at the light of the sun. Do you really think everything that is in existence came from a little dot that blew up one day and we're just here? I mean, God is our creator. He made it and he made us and he's speaking to you and I today. Yes, he is present. So Psalm 19 reminds us that God is present, that he is everywhere. Theologians refer to two different types of revelation. One is called general revelation. We see creation and we can look into our heart and sense that there is a God by our own conscience. It reveals a lot about who God is, but it's actually quite limited. So God has another type of revelation and it's called specific revelation. The creation reveals that there is a God, but it doesn't tell us about Jesus Christ who loved us and died on a cross. And so God gave us the scriptures. In the first six verses of Psalm 19, the psalmist is talking about creation. And God is being glorified. And as we get to verse 7, he talks about not the idea of revelation of creation, but the revelation of inspiration, the scriptures. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. God is revealed through creation, but God is specifically revealed through his word. And today, before we partake of communion, 
God calls us to look into his word, to look into his light, to the law, and to self-examine. Verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It means it is complete. It has full integrity. It is without blemish and spot. The testimony of the Lord is sure. To be sure means trustworthy. We can be confident and stand upon what it says. Verse 8, the statutes of the Lord are right. The word right means straight. It means accurate. That you can put it, uh, everything up to that straight line and compare it. And if it doesn't fall in line with the scriptures, then it's crooked. It's outside of what God desires. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It clarifies. In this world of misunderstandings, it's God's word that gives us wisdom and direction. The fear of the Lord is an interesting term for the scriptures. It's called the fear of the Lord. This is uh, considered fear or reverence. Our respect of the Lord is clean. It's not contaminated. It is moral. It is holy. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are faithful. They are certain. They will come to pass. You see, either there is a God or there's not a God. Either the Bible is true or the Bible is false. Either there is meaning to life or there is no meaning to life. We can't have it both ways. Either there is a God that created us. Either there is a God that gave us the scriptures. And if we just evolve, then eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But if there is a God, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. The worldviews are very, very different. We come to very different conclusions. So what is the law? The law, the testimony, the statutes, the commandments, the fear, the judgments. They are perfect and sure, they're right and they're pure, they're clean and they're true. In Vacation Bible School many years ago, uh, I memorized uh, verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. God's word is perfect and sure and right and pure and clean and true. But notice what it does. The law of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul. You see, the soul is in need of conversion. We must repent of our direction and follow the straight line of scriptures. We must be brought back home and to be recovered. We must turn from our direction and to follow the scriptures' direction. It not only converts the souls, but it makes wise the simple. Those that are deluded and seduced and deceived need the wisdom of the scriptures. You see, it's not following our heart. It's not following society, but it's following God's word that is necessary. The statutes of the Lord rejoice the heart in verse 8. It brings us joy. It cheers us up. The Christian life is not to be a life of misery. It's to be a life of joy. You know, if you really want to see 
the difference between the Christian life and the unchristian life, really in the quietness of the moments, was there ever those points that you weren't living for God, and in those quiet moments you realized there was something more, and the partying and that scene was very quite limited? How empty that life truly was and the destruction that it led to? Sometimes we as Christians have pity parties where we can't go here, we can't do this, we can't participate in those events. But listen, those people participating that are depressed, suicidal, and ultimately there may be uh, some uh, excitement for a minute, but in the quietness of their heart, they are empty, and we can have the satisfaction of God in our life. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. You see... Under creation, the sun provides light. But with the revelation of Scripture, the Bible provides light for us. It gives us direction. We do not have to be confused in the direction of where our life is going. And if we look to the Scriptures, we realize the Bible is more to be desired, are they, than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey in the honeycomb. You see, in the the Eastern society where the scriptures were written, gold was the the most valuable thing, and honey was the most most, uh, sweet item. And when the psalmist was trying to write what was important to him, and he said, you know what people seek after? They want satisfaction. They want what uh, what their money or the gold can buy. They want to be satisfied in life. But he said the reality is there is something more valuable, more to be desired than the things of this world is what God has for us. See, what brings you satisfaction? What is it that you are desiring today? What are you living for? Is it health or wealth or happiness or popularity or just living for the moment? And we realize it never satisfies. As a kid, there was a cigarette commercial, and I, I don't remember the cigarette, but does anyone remember it says, it satisfies? You, you're around my generation. You remember? I don't think it was Paul Malls. They called it Pell Mells or something, but uh, one of these lady cigarettes, I think, and it said, and it satisfies. And the preacher was preaching when I was a kid, and he said, well, if it satisfies, why do they keep smoking those things over and over again? You know, the, you know, does this world satisfy us? It doesn't. There is something much greater. And we look at creation and we look at the scriptures and it's God's word that provides love, joy, and peace in life. It is more to be desired. You see, God is present. And it's his word that completes us. And he looks at our attitudes. He looks at our actions And he knows the secrets of our lives. Look at verse 11. Moreover by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them there is great reward. Do you know what God's word does? It warns us and it rewards us. It tells us there's some places you don't want to go. There's some directions you don't want to enter into. They're not going to provide what you are looking for. And it tells us where we can go to find the blessings of God. That's what the scriptures do. It tells us the consequences and blessings of life. And God really wants the best for us, just like a parent wants the best for their kids. You remember when your kids were younger, and maybe even now, Mom, can I have ice cream? No, you got to eat dinner before you can have dessert. 
and your kids thought you were being mean, they didn't understand that you want the best for them. Mom, can I go here? No, you can't go here. Well, Bobby or Susie's parents let them go there. Well, we're not Bobby and Susie's parents, right? So, and if, you, if your friends were to jump off a bridge with you, and most of the boys said, yeah, yeah, I would if I could, you know, whatever. And, but we want the best for our children, right? And we know better than them, but they think we are limiting them. The same is true with God. I tell you, parenting is very sanctifying. Because the excuses that I've made for God to want to do my own thing, sometimes my kids get a little bit older and, they, and you know, they were making the same. They say, well, why can't I? And I'm like, you sound like me talking to God sometimes, right? And I realize I know what's best for my kids. And I need to come to the understanding that God knows what's best for us. So we see the revelation of creation and the revelation of inspiration. And God has warnings for us, and he has directions for us that allows us to be blessed. And then the psalmist says this in verse 12. This is the self-examination. Who can understand his errors? Errors. He's talking about sin. He uses a simple word here. Who can really know right from wrong? Can we really figure it out on our own? How many times have we thought we were doing the right thing and we look back and it was wrong and if we'd have just followed the scriptures and the direction of the Holy Spirit and wise counsel, we'd have been doing better. Who can understand his errors? I mean, sometimes we make wrong choices not because we mean to make wrong choices, we just didn't know right from wrong. We didn't know that that was the right direction. It was an error. And so the psalmist says this, cleanse thou me from my secret faults. Faults, a little more than errors here. And he says, God, you know what I need? Let me tell you, I need cleansing. I need you to clean me up, God. I can't do this in and of myself. I mean, there's things that are in my mind. There are things that are in my heart. There are things that are in my secret world. Maybe my parents don't even know about it. But I need you to clean them up, God. My errors, my faults. And then look at verse 13. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Now he calls it all out sin. Hey, it's not just an error, a mistake. It's not just a fault because of our nature. But it's a sin. It's an outward action. Presumptuous. We willfully just presume. We know it's wrong and we do it anyway. Do you ever do that? That's why uh, and Paul said in Romans 7, all the good things that I want to do, I don't end up doing the bad things I don't want to do. I do them, right? We live in that world at times in our life. And we cry out, who will deliver me? And Paul said, it's through the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus Christ that makes a difference in our life. God, will you cleanse me? Keep me away from presumptuous sins. And notice what he says, let them not have dominion over me. You see, are any of us going to live a sinless life? No. But we can sin less and we can determine we're not going to be controlled by sin. We do not have to be controlled by sin. Anger doesn't have to control us. Pornography doesn't have to control us. Stealing doesn't have to control us. Cheating or lying or whatever the issue is. 
spending too much money, eating too much food uh, on the internet, too much, whatever those issues might be. We do not have to be dominated by sin. Yes, we will sin. Yes, we have sinned. And we need cleansing, but we do not have to be controlled by it. God, let it not have dominion over me. And notice what he says here. Then shall I be upright. To be upright just means to be standing tall. God made mankind upright, but he went out to do his own thing. To be upright means to be living righteous. Then will I be upright. And I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Innocent. There's a difference between not just being found guilty and being innocent. Can you imagine one day standing before God with the robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ because we've accepted what Jesus did for us on the cross and we do not give account of our sin and we are declared by God Almighty, the holy God that we were singing about, even though we have failed, we have errors, we have faults, we have sin. And you know what he says? You are innocent. Not because of the church, not because of ourselves, but only because of Jesus Christ. And before we partake of communion, let's just bow our heads and ask God to cleanse us. Father, will you cleanse me? Will you cleanse us? In the quietness of our heart, may you deal with our minds, our hearts, our secret world, who we are when we're with our friends at work. When nobody else knows, Lord, we know that you see. May sin not have dominion. May we be righteous and innocent in your eyes. With our heads bowed. I'm going to turn the service over to Pastor Steve and let, us, let him uh, allow the Holy Spirit just to guide him as we deal with the Lord. In the garden, Jesus cried out, Let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We come before God because not only has he spoken through creation and has he spoken in the past through his word, he is speaking still. God still desires to have a relationship with you and whether you're a child, a senior adult, a single parent, a church leader, a new Christian, God is still speaking. Something really interesting to me in this psalm. Look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the first six verses referring to creation go back to God, Elohim. He is the all-powerful God. In the beginning, God. 
But when God created mankind, God added a new name, not just God, but Lord God. In the King James Version, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It points out what the word Lord means here. It is the uh, word uh, in the Hebrew, Jehovah or Yahweh. And he begins talking about God is God. But as we get into verse 7, it says the fear of the Lord, or the law of the Lord. And then in, throughout these uh, verses, the statutes of the Lord. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord. He's referred to as Lord. And in verse 14, it concludes this way, let the words of my mouth, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable or to be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You see, today he is our Lord. That's why we want to please him. When I asked Jesus Christ to be my savior, the main reason as a young person is I didn't want to go to hell. I knew there was a place of judgment and a separation from God forever and ever, and I didn't want to go there. But as I grew in my relationship with Jesus Christ, I understood the importance of pleasing Him. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable or be pleasing to you. Oh Lord, you are my strength. You are my rock. You are my redeemer. You have saved me. It's not we ourselves, it's what he has done. So we've talked about grace today. That's why we accept Jesus as our Savior, to have that relationship. That's why we follow the Lord in baptism, that first step of obedience. Our next baptism, I originally had it set up for next Sunday, but we're going to do it in two weeks instead. July 14th, if you haven't followed the Lord in baptism, you know Jesus as your Savior but you haven't accepted or, or, or taken that first step in baptism, we invite you. Church membership, if you've uh, just recently started coming here, you've been around here for a while and you haven't stepped into membership, we invite you to come forward. We'll take that special day on July 14th. May I be acceptable in your sight, God. May I be pleasing to you. That's my desire. Remember, the law of the Lord converts the soul. There were early Reformed believers that would ask the question when they saw their brothers on Sunday morning, they would ask the question, how is your soul? It's an interesting question. It may not even make sense to society today too much, but they would ask, how is your soul? How is your soul? You know, what's going on on the inside? We, we got washed up for church. We looked pretty good. We came here today. But what's going on on the inside? How is your soul? <clears throat> Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. You're not certain that your sins are forgiven and that you have a home in heaven. That's the most important decision that you'll ever make. More important than what church you go to, more important than what college you go to, what career you're going to choose, who you're going to marry, how many kids you're going to have, what house you're going to live in one day. 
Do you know where you're going for eternity? All of us need to have that settled. Not, I, I hope so or I think so, but we can know that we have eternal life. Most important decision. How is your soul today? In just a moment, we're going to sing the song written by Horatio Spafford. He was a successful businessman, but in the great Chicago fire, lost his wealth. He put his family on a ship, and he said, I'm going to follow you after I have some business takings I need to do, and the majority of his family died. He lost his wealth. He lost his family. It was just he and his wife. And right after that horrible event, he wrote the words to this song, It Is Well. Just bow your heads for just a moment. Pastor Steve, would you keep playing? The God of creation. He's speaking to us. Through the sun and the stars, the flowers, the plants, through other individuals, there is no place that is hidden from God. He is crying out, I exist, I created you. There is meaning and purpose to life. But the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, the relational God, wants to enter into promise and covenant with us. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, make that decision today. Call out to Him. Ask Him to forgive your sins. By faith, believe in what Jesus did on the cross. I believe you died for me, Jesus. I believe that you were buried and you came back to life, that you resurrected. Ask him to come into your life, change you to transform you. If you've made that decision, how is your soul today? The struggles of life and finance and marriage and kids and just dealing with people and circumstances, maybe that has you down. He wants it to be well with you, no matter what the circumstances. If we will cry out, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. If we'll look into his word, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey in the honeycomb. Let God guide you. Make a decision to get into his word regularly. To be faithful to him. And to be reminded of his presence wherever you go. Lord, you created a tabernacle. May we worship you in it. 
through our salvation, through our baptism, through being connected with your body, through reading your word and treating people kindly, for asking for forgiveness to deal with the stresses of life. Lord, may it be well with our soul. God, we thank you that we could meet together because of who you are. Because of your perfection and your willingness to go to the cross. We thank you for eternal life. We thank you for purpose and meaning in this life. May we please you in Jesus' name. Amen.